Hey everyone, uh, we had some technical difficulties with this episode, so the sound may be a little strange up until around the six minute mark, but after that everything should be great. Thanks a lot for listening. Hi, welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Maureen Vaden, with me is my husband, my co-host, my baby daddy, Barry Ligon. We're back! We are back! We had a brief hiatus. We had a hiatus! And we're back. Yeah. I think we should talk about why we had a hiatus. Yeah, I mean, we told people last time yeah. that I was going away for a little while. You went away. Wow, that sounds very ominous. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> it I wasn't was with, that kind of going I was away. with my other family. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I was gone for four days, five days. They all blur together at this point. Uh, I was in Kentucky. The fine state of Kentucky. The, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Where actually. I hear they have pretty decent chicken. Yeah, I did not have any of the chicken <laughs> while I was there, more's the pity. I had many other fine things to eat, but not the chicken. And uh, I did uh, some school visits, which mm-hmm. were wonderful. I did a library visit and a bookstore visit, and then I w- attended the Kentucky Library Association slash Kentucky Association of School Librarians conference where I was given the Kentucky Bluegrass Award. Yay, which congrats. I'm sad to report is not actually, I thought it would be like a little piece of turf, you know? <laughs> like, I thought maybe, you know, like a little framed piece of turf, but no, <laughs> it's a very nice certificate. And I gave a talk, and then they surprised me. Yeah. Out of nowhere. They, they So they, they gave me my award, and I gave a little talk, which I was supposed to do, and then they gave out, like, various awards to certain librarians, you know, uh-huh. for various things. And then they were done, and they said, oh, we have one more surprise. Barry, could you come back up? And I was, at this point, like, okay, maybe uh-huh. I am going to get a little piece of turf. <laughs> and uh, and I got up, and I went up there, and they gave me this certificate, which I've actually posted on my blog and on Tumblr, which makes me a, a, a Kentucky colonel. This is signed by the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky and by Allison Lundergan Grimes, for right. those of you who followed her her uh, political career, and it's it makes I'm a Kentucky Colonel, which is this this uh, honorary mm-hmm. organization that has existed since the 30s. Uh, George Clooney is one, Muhammad Ali, Betty White, Elvis, Elvis Presley. Presley. Yeah, it's You're pretty cool. A pretty illustrious list. Yeah, of folks and and uh, so they gave this to me, and I was stunned. I had no idea this was going to happen, and then, you know the first thing I saw was the name of the governor of Kentucky, which bizarrely enough I happened to know off the top of my head, and I was like, oh my god, like what is this? And yeah. then they told me, and I just stood there and. I was clearly supposed to say something, and I didn't know what to say because <laughs> I had used all my material in my talk before, and I blurted out, you know, this is my first trip to Kentucky, but I've been a fan of your chicken since I was a child, <laughs> and they loved that. So, Do you know what's funny? I'm sure they've never heard that before. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I'm kidding. They did pull me aside afterwards and explain to me in very serious tones that that this uh, colonelship did not entitle me to free chicken. Oh. Which, I gotta admit, there was a little part of me thinking, does this mean I can go into any KFC and oh, you know, walk out with a bucket? But no, it is an honorary title. It's very cool, though. Like, that's, yeah, that's actually cool. Colonel Sanders. That's why he was called Colonel Sanders. He wow. was a Kentucky colonel. Yeah. So I am now part of his... Uh, his lineage. Nice. Are yeah. you going to like change your email address? I think I should. I think, I so think I'm going to change I it. I have to play this up I as think, often as possible. I think all of my books now. <laughs> you have to reprint be them all. By Colonel Barry Liga. <laughs> like, you know. I didn't I, think of that. You're right. My best friend is legitimately Army. Uh-huh. Uh, he retired from the Army as a major. Colonels outrank majors. Huh. So I took a picture of the certificate and emailed it to him. And said, I outrank you. <laughs> and I didn't even have to do that whole going to war thing. Right. 
He was not appreciative. Yeah. Um, I do want to harken back for a second because, you know, you do school visits a decent amount. I guess. I mean, yeah, I, throughout the year. Yeah, you I, do I don't, you I don't know what a standard amount is. I don't but either, yeah, but do. you, you do enough that yeah. it's a thing that you do. Sure. Um, and I feel like your reactions are, are pretty mixed with them. Sometimes you're like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> Other times you're like, eh. Yeah. And other times you're like, yeah, it was good. And I feel like you came back from Kentucky yeah. raving about how wonderful they were. It was terrific. It really was. Yeah, I mean, honestly, sometimes you do these things and the kids just kind of sit there and twiddle their thumbs. Yeah. Sometimes that's because I'm having an off day. Sometimes, you know, they don't know who I am. They haven't read my books. They right. don't care. But at least they're not in physics. <laughs> you know? True. This time... Nobody you know, wants to be in physics. Because I had won this award, and the, the Bluegrass Award is is given by the students. It's the students across the state vote yeah. for, for their favorite book. And so I got there and a lot of these kids had read I Hunt Killers. Mm-hmm. So they were very excited to see me. They were very enthusiastic, really terrific crowds. I mean, I got cheered for the shirt I was wearing, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they just, they, they really, they were a good crowd. Good. You're only as good as the crowd you're talking to. Yeah. So, no, it was a terrific time. I really, really enjoyed it. I, they were long days. They were exhausting days. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, you know, it's enough for you to get me up at 8.15 in the morning to take care of the small child I'm responsible for. And Here, that, that collective groan you heard from everyone was everyone playing the world's smallest violin for you. <laughs> Violins sound like groans? Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, anyway, I had to get up at, like, quarter of six in the morning to get to high school on time. Heaven like, Yeah, seriously, why do they do that to kids? All right, well, awesome. So that was a great trip, and that's why... It was. It was a terrific trip. That's why we were on hiatus. But there was just no way, given when I traveled and when I got back, there was just yeah. no way to, to record the yeah. show. So let's talk parenting for a second. Yes. It's, it's wonderful, <laughs> but it is exhausting sometimes. <laughs> It can be a chore. Yeah. So we're, we're having a, a rough day today. Yes. Um, Leia had a fever, which I don't, I don't know that she's ever had one before. No, no, I don't think yeah. so. There were times we thought she was a little warm, but we yeah. checked her temperature and it was fine. It yeah. was within normal range, but she was legit today at like 99.9, yeah. which is close enough to a hundred for me. Me too. And, uh, you know, runny nose, congestion. Yeah. And it's hard to say whether it's teething because she's, she's cutting four teeth up top. Yeah. She's having a lot of teething pain and we're not sure if that is part of what's causing this yeah. or if that's just exacerbating yeah. it. But either way, we have one unhappy child. But the amazing thing about Leia is that even when she's unhappy, God, when you pick her up or snuggle her or let her or play with her or whatever... She just gives you that big grin. Yeah, I and mean, waves and even even when she's unhappy, she's pretty happy. Yeah. It's you know, as long as you're doing something with her, you're playing with her, talking to her, letting her, you know, helping her to walk around, she's fine. It's it's when you put her down yeah. to take a nap or to go to sleep that she then starts to freak out when she's unhappy. Or if you put her in her high chair to feed her yeah. and she's not feeling well, she gets very upset. Yeah. Uh, that, that you're doing that because I guess she doesn't have much of an appetite. But yeah, I mean, even, you know, today she was laughing and smiling mm-hmm. and having a good old time. Still waving at strangers from Waving her at strangers from yeah. her stroller. Yeah, even though she wasn't feeling well. Yeah. And that's just, that's so sweet, you it's, know? She's true. It, it's almost even more heartbreaking because she's yeah. just so sweet. And you know she doesn't feel well, but 
she she powers through anyway. Right, it's right. It's really sweet. And it's tough because you feel powerless because, yeah. you know, as we're recording, she's she's trying to sleep. Yeah. She needs to sleep. She's so tired. But she's in pain and she's in discomfort. Yeah. And we've done everything we can for her and she just can't sleep. Yeah. And so I foresee a night of of us going in there frequently yeah. to hold her Which and reassure her. Which we did last her. night. Which we did yeah. last night, and I Which, imagine I mean, us doing it tonight. So what I wanted to talk about kind of was, um, we've talked a lot about routines and the importance of routines for both babies and for writing. And, you know, now I want to talk about breaking those routines. Sure. Because sometimes you have to. Yeah. And today was, of course, one of those days. Yep. So when Leia didn't want to eat in her high chair this morning, or really didn't want to eat much of anything, um, we doubled up her formula dosage, really, because right. we needed to make sure that she was full. And, I, you know, I ate with her on the couch. I put on some Sesame Street, and we snuggled up on the couch with some toys and books. And she ate her crackers and her little breads and things like that that way. Right. Because at least she was happy and, you know. Right. So... Well, and we also, you know, have gone in multiple times tonight while she's trying yep. to sleep, to hold her, to yeah. rock her, to calm her. We, you know, changed up when she took her naps. You know, normally we keep her to a pretty good schedule. And then we but had to give her a things. bath first thing this morning because the the poor girl was literally covered in snot. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was. She was a snot mummy. It was. Uh, <laughs> It was not an attractive look by by anybody's standards. <laughs> she was covered in snot. Her own, I should, I hasten to point out, it was her own snot. Let, lest people think we are covering her in ours. No, it was her own. And yeah, so so yeah. we had to give her that bath. Um, anyway, and then there was a funny moment today where all day, uh, full confession, I was out last night for my friend's bachelorette party. Drinking, carousing. Basically. Hooking up with cooking. strange men. <laughs> uh, so I got home late. I was perhaps a little tipsy. Perhaps. And, of course, that's the night that the baby woke up several times throughout the night and then had a fever, yada, yada. So uh, I have not been in tip-top shape either. Yeah. So today, as we were trying to figure out what to do, I was like, well, she's sick, so she and I will just stay in inside all day. Because normally we try and get outside. And you had errands to run. And then we ended up having a quick conversation about, well... Should we take her out? Is the fresh air good for her? Like, obviously, fresh air is good, but you know, but it's when also sick, the, well. Like, also, the weather has just changed. Yeah, so it's it's, it's chilly. Th- there's a little chill in the air. Yeah, and so you know, it's even though scientifically it's been proven that the cold does not give you a cold. Right. Still, there's that part of you going, should I take my right. kid out? Yeah. But anyway, it was funny, and and I was like, let's Google it. Let's ask Siri. And I was half kidding, but also like I, I feel like I was a victim again of too much information in the in this digital parenting age. Right. Of like I was literally about to Google, should I take my sick eleven month old baby out for a quick walk in the cool fall air? Right. <laughs> like what what did I expect was going to happen there? Right. <laughs> what kind of answer was I really expecting from that specific question? Well, clearly a yes or no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a big flashing screen that says either yes or no. You, okay, great. Anyway, so it it I'll boil down again to um just trust your instincts right and we took her out we took her we took her on a quick walk she's not that sick she just has a a slight fever and a runny nose and some miserable teething stuff going on so So we took her out for a little walk to the store and she was fine she smiled at people she waved at people 
she pulled her socks off because that's what she does. <laughs> and then amusingly, for the first time ever, I think she was trying to put her sock back on. She was. She was she was sort of slapping her foot with the sock, yeah. looking perturbed, trying to figure <laughs> out how to make it go back on. And I didn't have the heart to tell her. She's a couple of years away from that, I think. <laughs> anyway, that's our parenting update, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So, so if you see either of us this week and we seem out of sorts or really tired. Be gentle. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, Amy Schumer, I'm a big fan. As am I. You are. As am I. I've seen her live before. Um, pre, you know, she's having a moment right now. Right. Uh, I actually saw her. I, I don't want to be that guy, but I liked, I liked her before the band was big. Please. But, I was, I was rooting for her a thousand years ago when she was on last comic standing. So <laughs> I don't true. even, I don't even want to hear it. Nobody knew who she was. <laughs> and I was like. Hey, she's funny. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, and we actually just got tickets. She's playing at MSG. Wait, what do you mean we? We, I know, yeah. My, my sister got some tickets. I'm tagging along as uh-huh. part of that group. Yeah. She's, believe it or not, the first female comic to headline MSG. Which just blows my mind. It totally blows my mind. Like, it's 2015. Like, yeah. there have been... Not just female comics before, but impressive, popular, nationally renowned female comics. Right. Paula Poundstone, Roseanne Barr, right, yeah. Sarah Silverman. I mean, yeah, you could go down the list. And I am stunned that none of them have ever headlined mm-hmm. MSG. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to. Maybe. Maybe they didn't want. Maybe they were like, no, screw MSG, man. <laughs> no. No, I'm not doing that. I don't know. Anyway, so there's been some industry rumors this week because much like, much in the vein of many other comedians right now amy schumer is shopping around and or has been approached about writing a book of essays slash a memoir slash whatever you want to call it i don't know what shape it's going to take and a number has been bandied about yeah and it's a pretty stunning number so rumor has it that amy schumer is getting paid between eight and ten million dollars for Which, a book. by astonishing coincidence, is very close to what I got paid for my last book. <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, so I did some digging because I wanted to put this in perspective. Tina Fey, $6 million for her book. Yeah. Which, also a very impressive number. Um, Lena Dunham, just under $4 million. Way too much. Yeah. <laughs> It probably was too much, probably when you look at sales, actually. But anyway, um, Bill Clinton, $15 million for his last book. <sighs> and, you know, I know what you're going to say here, which is one of these things is not like the other. Obviously, well, Bill sure. Clinton was the leader of the free world, so I'm okay with his, his price there. But generally speaking, when you think about advances like this, especially for comedians or actors, that feels like a, an incredibly high number. And... Uh, Part of me is like, that's amazing. You go, girl. Well, sure. <laughs> like, go get yours, Amy. That's amazing. Congrats. I love you. I'll I mean, if, if, if somebody is is foolish enough to offer you a substantial of sum of money, you're you, gonna take it. You take the money and run. Yeah. You know, I mean, I we, we live in a cult of celebrity. Yeah. And it's just that's the way it is. And you know, I mean, again, she's having a moment. Clearly, they feel like they're going to sell enough copies of this book to make that back and then some. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, they didn't do this lightly. It's not like the, the CEO of the company woke, woke up, rolled over in bed and went, eh, $8 million. Yeah. You know, they thought about this. They figured this out. But I, I mean, I know it's right in line with Mindy Kaling and Amy Poehler, too. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what those numbers were. But. I just, I mean, I, I think it's crazy. It, it concerns me just because I feel like 
and, and, and it's probably always been this way, but I feel like it's more so now. I feel like we're beginning to get to a point where the public perception is that Books only matter and books are only a big deal when famous people write them mm. because famous people make a lot of money for writing their books yeah. and that's the only thing that should matter. Yeah. And I just, I feel like th- these things become causes, you know, cause celeb of their own and oh my God, did you hear how much money Amy Schumer made and how much money Tina Fey made and how much money this person made and how much that, mo- that person made. And it just, I don't know. I just feel like in, in a way it sort of degrades the nature of books. You mm. know, Stephen King famously had one of his characters say, it is the tale, not he who tells it. You know, like, the, the story is what matters, not the person telling the story. And, of course, he's made plenty of money based on the fact that his name is Stephen right, King. Yeah. And two things, by the way. Number yeah. one, I'm pretty sure you mentioned Stephen King in every single podcast episode. There is a damn good chance. You know, it, there's a reason why, actually. I, I read a book years ago when I was in college that was a collection of interviews with him. Okay. And these were interviews probably going up to about the late 80s when he was, uh, I believe, still drinking and on drugs. <laughs> um, and uh, and as a result, he is highly quotable. <laughs> he uh, says a lot of really, really interesting things in these interviews. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of them are from earlier in his career when he was not so big that he could pick and choose interviews. Mm-hmm. So he was doing interviews with everything that moved uh, and, and just saying all sorts of really interesting, weird stuff. So I read that book over and over again uh-huh. throughout my college years. And I've just sort of like memorized all these. Yeah, clearly. These, Little things that he said. Yeah, it's I'm kind like, of strange. Do you have a Stephen King cheat sheet of quotes somewhere that I don't I, know about? I do. It's on the shelf behind you. It's the book of interviews with him. I just don't need to consult it because I've got it memorized. And so the second thing I wanted to ask in in this line of questioning and this line of discussion, do you feel the same way about movies? Because there are, I mean, you know, Tom Cruise gets, what, $35 million for a student yeah. Mission Impossible film? By the way, I pulled those numbers out of my but I have no idea what the numbers are, but it's a ridiculously high number. And I I mean, do you feel the same thing? Like, is it it, with actors making insane amounts of money for their movies? (laughs) Well, well, first of all, let me say that I, I, it's not so much. I have a problem people making insane amounts of money. I, I do think it is obscene for a comedian, no matter how popular and no matter how much of a moment he or she is having to make, $10 $10 million to write a book. Okay. I think that's just ridiculous. But we live in a capitalist society and that's that kind of thing is going to happen. I feel like the nature of movies has been, from the beginning, has been all about, look at the beautiful people we put on the screen uh, and look at how much they're worth. They're okay. drenched in glamour. Okay. I mean, look at look at how all this stuff started. You know, look at during the Depression. Yeah. People went to the movies to see opulence. You yeah. know, and that's what they craved and that's that's what they got. And so I feel in a way that is a little different from at least the romantic notion of sort of the ink-stained wretch, uh-huh. <laughs> which is sort of where book publishing began, you know. Poor people who were, who, and I don't mean literally impoverished, but but people who, for the most part, for a long time, had patrons mm-hmm. who kept them in food and drink while they wrote. Yeah. And they had no money of their own. They were doing it, you know, they had somebody paying them to go ahead and do this and create this stuff. And usually not appreciated in their own lifetime. Right. Quite often. 
And so I just feel like, I just feel like movies and books are just two very different things. And yeah, it's ridiculous for Tom Cruise to get paid whatever amount of money you pulled out of your posterior, you know, to make a movie. Of course it's ridiculous, but I think we expect it. Okay. And so as a result, it it feels like it's part of the DNA of movies. So it doesn't feel like it demeans movies. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Whereas I feel like it's not part of the DNA of books, you know? And so I feel like it does demean books. Huh? That's just, again, that's my feeling. Yeah. And, and clearly I mean, I've got a dog in this hunt. So, right. you know. Yeah. I think I feel like there's a lot more to explore here about um, debasing books versus movies and whatnot. But my energy level is not here right now <laughs> to get into that discussion. Well, so and I'm it's gonna, a long discussion. It is. I'm going to bookmark I'm sure we'll talk about one. it again. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure people will write in and tell me I'm an idiot. Yeah. Which is fine. Probably. Do it. You Do know, it. I encourage them. Writinginreallife.com. Click on the contact <laughs> form and fill it out. Tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, okay. So I want to move on because this is still bothering me. I'm reading a book. Yes. That I had to stop reading. Ah. Because it is too sad. I can't, I can't manage it. Wow. It's so, it, so the book is A Little Life, which okay. was just long listed for the booker. It's a very highly reviewed book. Um, I'm not alone in acknowledging that this is a tough, tough, tough book to read. Um, but I'm, I can't help but wonder if I can't get through it because I'm a parent uh, and that if I were reading this before Leia, would I, would I have as much of a problem is with Is somebody it as like shoving babies into a meat grinder and making sausage oh, out of them or something? Stop. No. Well, look, see, it's not that bad then. <laughs> see, it can always be worse. It can always be worse. No, um... But it, it deals with abuse and yeah. um, lots of flashback to, and by the way, I'm only midway through the book and yeah. I don't, I truly do not know if I'm, if I'm able to go further. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so it's just, it's, re- it's, it's very hard to manage. And everyone told me it was, it was going to be tough. And I knew that. And I even, even going in knowing that it's going to be unspeakably horrific, the things that you read about, I, I can't do it. So do you think, do you find any difference between reading slash consuming as a parent versus as a, as a non-parent? Have you noticed anything? Not yet. I, I mean, the biggest thing is that I find I'm more critical of the way, uh, babies are depicted (laughs) like in movies and and books and things like that. When you think of like the walking Walking dead Dead. where I'm just like, they would all be dead because that kid, that kid would be screaming constantly. And where are they finding diapers and formula? And that, and and that kid would have gotten them killed a hundred times already. And so that sort of yanks me out of the quote unquote reality of that show. My suspension of disbelief is tenuous now with that show. But you haven't answered the question. Well, no, of I course not. I demand an answer. No, oh, wow. <laughs> this folks, podcast folks, is all she, looks, she looks extremely threatening <laughs> as she says this. No, the, the fact of the matter is, it, it, I haven't noticed. There, it doesn't bother me. It's not like when I see a baby in jeopardy or in danger on a TV show, I don't suddenly think, oh my God, that could be Leia. Yeah. Um, you know. But I know that, I mean, to clarify, that's not what goes through my mind either. I don't think okay, that could see, be our baby. Yeah, I think it, it's more of a... Um, I mean, not to get TMI here too, but I get a physical pain too wow. now that didn't exist before giving birth. Yeah. Um, when I see a kid trip and fall on the street or wow. something like that, I actually truly do get a pang of pain. Huh. Um, 
See, and I, I've talked to some other dads yeah. in, in my dad's group, and they they seem to be a little more sensitive now to to this sort of thing. Uh-huh. So uh, once again, I'm the odd man out. I'm You're the, just a cold, cold I'm, snake, Barry. Like I'm it. the guy born without a soul. I mean, well, I think we all knew that's this. Why I married you? Yeah, and, and now it's just. I mean, the the thought of anything happening to our child well, sends me into a frenzy. Yeah, just the thought of it. But I can watch, you know, TV shows or whatever. If I see a kid falling through, I feel bad for the kid. <laughs> but I don't. I would have felt bad for the kid a year before, ago before yeah. I was a dad. It's just for me, and I'm not generalizing here at all. There's just a very new and particular pain, both emotional and physical. And it's when making, I think of a, of a baby in being and it's hurt making or in it difficult for you to finish this book. It is, yeah. and frankly, to consider other things that I used to love, like. Horror movies. Yeah. I just watched a trailer for a movie called Goodnight Mommy. Before Baby, I would have been first in line for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> now it was so the trailer was so disturbing that I was like, I don't, I don't think I can go there. It's like wow. I can't emotionally go there anymore. So yeah. I, it's it's. I'd love to hear from other parents if they experience the same thing. Maybe it's temporary, and maybe you know, in a few months or a year or whatever. It, it'll be, be d- during her teen years and tween years when you want to kill her. <laughs> that's when suddenly you'll be okay with yeah, seeing right. that sort of thing again. Cause then it'll be yeah. wish fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. No, not wish. That's horrible. I'm joking. No. I love it. Took you a second to it catch did. what I was saying. No, because you know what? I was thinking about how you said when she's a teen or a tween, I hate that line of thinking. That I whole, like, I, I and I know you were saying it in jest, but like, that's something to talk about too, is this idea that like, Oh God! Well, you only have eighteen years, like, and then you get to kick out your kid. Oh, that's a whole different. It is. A, that's a whole different them, line of discussion. I don't discussion. like. I yeah. don't like that concept at all. Like, you know, um, there are pros and cons to every phase of life for a child, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a tween and a teen. I, you know, I had a good relationship with my parents when I was a tween and a teen. I'm sure I was annoying as hell, but you know. So anyway, that's something else to talk about. So speaking of likability in kids, <laughs> um, I actually read a really great article by Roxane Gay in BuzzFeed about unlikable characters. Okay. And I'm someone who more than once has been told that sometimes my characters are not the most likable. Which is funny because you're very likable. Oh, thanks. I'm not, but that's <laughs> But I, I like fooling everyone into thinking that I am. Uh, anyway, I thought it was a great great piece. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and she gave a shout out to two of my favorite unlikable characters, Ellen Olenska from Edith Wharton's The House of Mirth. And of course, Jessica Wakefield from the Sweet Valley High and Sweet Valley Twins series. Of course. Um, anyway, so what are your thoughts on that? Unlikable characters? I, I'm a big fan of unlikable characters. I mean, I, I get dinged a lot yeah. for unlikable characters. I have always said that I have like a weird sort of empathy for people who are just wrong People who don't fit in, yeah. people that nobody else likes, I, I I get them. I understand. It doesn't mean that I approve. Like, yeah, yeah. Like we we have this weird thing in our culture where if you can understand something, it everybody assumes you're, you're okay it. with it. Yeah. It's like no, no, but I can understand it. Yeah. And with understanding comes a degree of empathy, which again yeah. doesn't mean you approve. It just means okay, I get it. And I've always felt that well, way. And frankly, that's the only way to progress. Is sure. like having some degree of empathy and being able to understand someone's motives and then therefore sort of connect. With there's them a that whole, level. Yeah. there's a whole bit of branch of scientific research on this. And I've been working on a, a blog post about this for about almost a year, almost wow. since Leo was born about how the only way to change somebody's mind is to empathize with them, Yeah, which 
in our culture means you have to do the horrible thing of understanding the thought process yeah. of the demon across the table from you, yeah. you know? So somebody that you disagree with vehemently yeah. to the point that it's a religion for you, yeah. you have to understand their thinking. You can't just tell them you're bad. You have to understand why they think the way they mm -hmm. think. That's the only way to change their mind. And we don't like to do that. But anyway, yeah. that's, that's a topic for another day. But I, I think unlikable characters are very interesting. I think the trick is to keep them interesting mm. and to have some element of, wow, why is this person doing this? And I think you can go too far. Uh, in, in my book, Unsold, apparently Randall Banner is so unlikable that people just did not want to read about him, mm. which took me by surprise because I thought, well, but he's interesting and funny, so that'll carry people through. Plus, he's having lots of sex. But that didn't seem to work. But then I've had this happen before with Goth Girl Rising. Uh, Kira was a very unlikable character, and a lot of people were like, oh, wow, I understand her pain. I love this book. But then there were other people who were like, she just complains all the time. Mm. I got sick of her. I couldn't finish it. Yeah. Well, I think it's the trick is it's really easy to do poorly. Yeah, just writer. you know, just like especially in YA, teen snark yes. is the easiest thing to do. It is so and easy. it's so and it's lazy. Cheap. And yeah. it, it is. It's cheap is a good word for it because people will substitute it for actual voice and yeah. actual characterization, mm -hmm. and that's a huge problem because unless there's a, a bedrock of character there to build that on, yep. it's it's pointless and you're just mimicking everybody else. Mm -hmm. So no, I I. Uh, I am happy that, that Roxanne Gay wrote about this because I think unlikable characters are, are really important. I mean, Holden Caulfield was unlikable, right. you know, and, and, and Romeo and Juliet were idiots and unlikable <laughs> and Macbeth and Hamlet and all of Shakespeare, they were all unlikable morons. Yeah. And yet they're fascinating and we're interested in them. You know, you can go, you know, Satan from Paradise Lost was actually, he was sort of likable. That, that was, <laughs> that was the, the subversive thing about Paradise Lost. Satan was the coolest character in that poem, but I, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like unlikable characters, you know, there are people in this world who are, are mean and, and cruel just because that's what they are, you know? But there are also people who are mean or cruel or rude because there's a deep pain inside them. And I think it's interesting to explore that mm -hmm. deep pain. One of my favorite YA books does precisely that, which is Courtney Summers Cracked Up to Be. Ah. The main character is like a, a fallen popular girl. Okay. And, uh, a total nightmare. And she is the, it's, she, she's so fun to read, but also you learn very quickly that there are very valid reasons behind that. Right. And the book is an exploration of those reasons because right. they sort of come in flashback. But, um, but yeah, like just really well done. And you do have to be careful not to go too far because then it becomes maudlin and yeah. sappy, you know, yeah. the bully with the heart of gold. Right. I, you know, one of the problems with, you know, well, I'll broaden this a little bit. One of the problems with being a writer in the, uh, the early 21st century is that we've seen everything. Yes. We have a multi thousand year history of fiction. Yeah. We've seen everything everything. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult. You know, the first person who wrote the story about a bully with a heart of gold genius. was hailed as a genius. <laughs> Nobody had ever done that before. My God, what insight into the human condition. Yeah. If you do that now, people will groan and throw your book away or delete it from their Kindle or whatever they're going to do with yeah. it. And yeah, it's tough. Like you've got to thread all these needles that nobody had to thread before. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for that article, Roxanne. I really enjoyed it. We'll link to it. So what are you reading there? 
Uh, I am currently reading A Prayer for the City by Buzz Bissinger. This is a book we talked about a few episodes yeah. ago. The book he wrote after Friday Night Lights that did not sell nearly as well as Friday Night Lights. And which he prefers. Which he prefers. And he's very frustrated that it did not do as well as Friday Night Lights. I can empathize with that. <laughs> I, I have books like that. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's about Ed Rendell's uh, mayorship in Philadelphia in the 90s and how he sort of turned that city around in the face of ridiculous, overwhelming odds. Mm-hmm. I already liked Ed Rendell a lot. Yeah. I like him even more now reading this book. Nice. So I'm enjoying that. Good. What about you? you? You've given up on one. I have given up on one. Um, so the unfortunate thing is that I, I started reading a self-published book. Uh, that came basically I, I saw it on social media I thought it sounded great um, the person who wrote it the book has had quite a journey and was on submission a few times and was wrapped and so I thought oh this is just going to be a good book that just for whatever reason yeah exactly um, I just want to say I mean kudos to anyone who writes and finishes a book but I did not this was a tough book to read um, simply because it needed a serious copy edit yeah. And I just want to say, if you're going to self-publish, I think you should do your due diligence and hire someone professional, an extra set of eyes, to do some some copy editing for you because right. it was very distracting. You have to be very honest with yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, it, 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 it's like a little kid dressing themselves for the first time. They yeah. need their parents there to tell them, no, you can't put that yeah. with that. You, you need Your shoes have to match, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do something like that, there's a reason why publishing houses exist. Right, right. Uh, and it's not just to siphon, you know, 85% of the money <laughs> away from the author. They exist because they have services that are valuable right, yeah. to, mo- to most people. There are there are people who can get away without it, but yeah. most people and need that. I mean, that. that's one of the obviously hugest challenges of being a self-published writer is that you are a one-woman show and right. um, you need to be well-schooled in lots of different areas of the book publishing process. and. And I think you do yourself a disservice when you don't try and explore those avenues before putting something up for sale. So yeah. All right. anyway, so, you know, Lesson learned. I've had a great streak of, you have, you've reading. had a wonderful streak yeah. lately. So now you've hit two bumps in the yeah. road. So moving That's on. Okay. It's yeah. all right. So should we give a quick update sure, on where let's... we stand with things? Yeah. So I'm still working on a short story because okay. apparently it, I could have done two novels in the time <laughs> I've been working on this short story, uh, but I'm still working on it. Don't ask why. Anyway. Why, Barry? Why? Because I'm still working on it. I don't know. I don't know why it's taking me so damn long, but it is. It's, I just, I generally don't write short fiction. And mm-hmm. so I'm just having trouble yeah. noodling around with it. You. Yeah. I've got, um, things are moving along. Yeah. I have some agents reading my full manuscript, which is very exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and, and let's say here too, this is not Tommy's agency out of his mom's basement. <laughs> We're talking like some serious, like one is like a serious, at least one is a serious heavy hitter where, where you were like, oh, this person requested a full. And I was like, well, you do know that person reps blank and blank. Right. And you were like, what? I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. No, but, um, you know, first of all, don't disparage Tommy. Tommy's got to get out of his mother's basement before <laughs> I'll take him seriously as a literary agent. Okay. Um, no, but you know, it, it's exciting, but also I keep reminding myself I've been here before. Yeah. This book has been read by many qualified sure. agents in its last iteration. Um, anything can happen. So, but you know, I'm moving forward and, um, I haven't started anything new yet, 
that's just been a function of time. It's been a, a hectic two weeks, which is officially when I started querying about two weeks ago. So, um, yeah, so hopefully maybe there will be something to share, but until then I will, um, try and start something new. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that is it for us. Thank you so much for your patience, allowing us a week hiatus last time around. Um, don't forget you can find us at writinginreallife.com where you will find the show notes and where you can leave a comment and then go search for us in iTunes. You can subscribe there and you can rate us. And finally, if you're on Twitter, find us and give us a follow at W I R L podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Bye everyone. This is a hybrid. This is a cross, uh, a, a bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, uh, featherbed bent, and uh, Northern California sensimia. The amazing stuff about this is that you can play 36 holes on it in the afternoon, take it home, and just get stoned to the bejesus belt that night on this stuff.